to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulk, and as always, we like to talk about things disaster-related, emergency response, business continuity, you know, and anything that can uh, touch on those areas. Uh, I'd like to remind you, if there is a specific topic you'd like us to talk about on the show or uh, have someone speak on the show, please feel free. Go to the Voice America uh, webpage for the show. And there is a button uh, that says send note uh, host, or I forget the exact wordings, but, uh, you know, you can send me an email. I do respond to all emails because I do get them all. Um, And, uh, you know, let's chat. Let's see about getting you on the show or flushing your topic out and finding someone to come on and talk about it. Uh, And I'd actually like to um, say that today's show started that way. My guest today actually did reach out to me uh, about uh, a a book they um, had published recently and uh, some ideas uh, of talking on the show. And I, I thought it, uh, after flushing out some details, I thought it was rather interesting. And I thought, okay, well, let's see about setting something up. And so I'd like to welcome today to the show um, the author of Sequentiality, John Vespasian. John, welcome to the show. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me on. John is calling us today from Italy. How are things in Italy, John? Uh, yes, I am. Uh, weather is perfect. I'm here for a couple of weeks, uh, so I thought uh, it's a good place to do the show. <laughs> well, it's a stifling heat here um, in Canada today, so uh, we're probably both enjoying some really wonderful weather. Good. So, first of first of all, congratulations on the book. Uh, many thanks. And. Uh, uh, one of the things I'd like to actually start with a quote you have at the beginning of the book that uh, as soon as I read it, I went that encaptures kind of what it is we want to talk about today. Um, and the quote is tackle problems before they appear, cultivate serenity and order. Do not give confusion a chance to win Lao Tzu uh, in the Tao Te Ching. And I think that captures a lot of, you know, our thinking when it comes to disaster planning and business continuity and emergencies you know, planning ahead of time, and also, you know, with many of the things that um, you write about in your book, you know, learning from history, you know, as we go forward. So, uh, as again, congratulations on the book, and um, uh, I love the title, Sequentiality. I think that's a co- cool word. I'd never heard it before until the book. But uh, before we get too far in, uh, into anything, John, could you give us a, a, a bit of a background on you, what you've done, you know, how you got to where you are today? Yes, uh, I have a commercial background, international commercial background, and I started uh, to write uh, books about personal development uh, 10 years ago. This, this is book number nine. And what I do in the books is uh, to combine uh, my business experience um, now quite long with my passion for history. Uh, I'm, I've been a reader of history for decades now, so I, it's something that I really love uh, with passion. 
And my books, um, they are all based on facts. They're based on biographies, on, on events, on history from different centuries. And what I do is to try to, uh, to draw from history uh, lessons uh, that are universal, that uh, they will not change uh, in the future. This, uh, they are, they are uh, coupled uh, to human nature. And uh, each book uh, touches on a different uh, aspect. Uh, the latest book is called Sequentiality, uh, because um, uh, in, the, in the biographies, in the events that I have uh, explored in this book, uh, one of the main ideas is that uh, human beings um, are very reluctant uh, to pursue uh, fixed goals, and very, very often uh, we find a way uh, by, by sequence, by sequence of events. The, the, the title of the book is Sequentiality, uh, because... Um, it uh, sort of presents uh, a, a pattern for success and a pattern uh, for business development and personal development uh, that goes against uh, fixed goals. Uh, sequentiality is the idea that uh, many business people and many uh, people in their own lives, uh, they find a way only uh, by exploring uh, different uh, sequences. And eventually they come um, uh, with the right sequence of uh, steps and this is why I call the book Sequentiality. It explores uh, different patterns of success and different patterns uh, of failure and how people have uh, found uh, the right sequence of steps in different uh, contexts uh, in history. And I think that's important, especially when we're talking about, you know, we put our plans together for responses to disasters. And I think that ties in rather nicely. So my first question for you is, in today's fast you know, moving business world, you know, and uh, all of the disasters that are going on. Why should anyone care about history, let alone ancient history? You know, what can we learn from it? What are the benefits? Well, uh, history is only interesting uh, to the extent that it's linked um, uh, to the future. And uh, when I was a kid, I, I learned uh, history at school. I have to read uh, history books. I found it super boring because I didn't see any connection uh, to the present or let alone to the future. But uh, later on, I started to read history with a different interest, a different point of view, uh, which is to extract lessons. And history is very, very interesting because uh, uh, it gives you a perspective on human nature and on the sequence of uh, events that you cannot get from newspapers. Because today, uh, if you read a business magazine or you read a business um, a newspaper, uh, you will never get the end of the story. And people get uh, today, I mean, one of the things you see in newspapers all the time, you see stories of, of Tesla, and you see people uh, worrying about uh, different things. But, of course, um, you don't know the end of the story. You will know the end of the story maybe in a few months or a few years. Um, but when you look at history and you look at history from the 20th century, 19th century, uh, Middle Ages, uh, even ancient times, we're talking uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, you see people uh, making over and over the same mistakes because the mistakes are linked uh, to human nature. They are not linked uh, to technology. They are not linked uh, to specific uh, business models. Uh, we tend to be very imprudent and very foolish uh, because uh, it's linked to our human nature. And what I have done in the books is to go through uh, really hundreds of uh, biographies uh, showing uh, how we can improve in our thinking and in our processes. So what are the ramifications of not learning from history? Because in today's world, with all social media 
we tend to really only remember events that have happened in the last you know couple of years. But history itself, uh, of which was one of my favorite subjects in school as well, believe it or not, um, can teach us so much more. So what are the ramifications of not learning from history? Uh, I know you touched on it by saying we, we tend to repeat the same things over and over again, but you know, can you expand on that? Um, one of the uh, typical patterns you see in people who, uh, who don't know anything about history, um, who don't care about history, uh, who despise any kind of uh, uh, historical knowledge, is that they tend to be extremely stressed. Um, because they look only at the short uh, term, and they tend to um, over-evaluate uh, uh, um, what is going today, at the risk, uh, they tend to, uh, to be very uh, reckless uh, because they don't know the, what happened in the past. So they say, okay, I'm really reinventing the wheel. And you see people being uh, not cautious enough in their business, in their lives, especially uh, in their health. Uh, because one of the advantages of learning from history is that you see that uh, what we call a good life, uh, what makes people live very long, uh, 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, uh, the patterns are the same today as they were 25 centuries ago. And I did extensive uh, research. This is one of my books about um, ancient Greece. And I did extensive research about uh, Hippocrates. He was a great uh, physician. And he wrote extensively about uh, health. And you see the patterns uh, of uh, prevention, avoiding risk, uh, trying to have a balanced life or a balanced business. Uh, they were the same 25 centuries ago. The technology is different. Now we have different technologies. We have social media. We have uh, uh, mobile phones. We have Skype and whatnot. But uh, what makes uh, human beings reckless and imprudent and stupid um, is our tendency uh, to think only short term. And this is one of the uh, key uh, psychological uh, traits uh, you will find in people who don't care about history. Uh, they are only talking about uh, the next week or the next year, but uh, many of them will make mistakes that they could have avoided if they look at, um, at what happened uh, 100 years, 200 years ago, because the way we develop uh, businesses, the way we develop uh, human relationships, and this has not changed, and it will not change in the future. Do you think that social media um, is contributing to that? You know, it makes people only think of things short term. You know, you think that's detrimental to us learning from history? Yeah, we have the idea that social media is something uh, completely new and that it changes uh, human psychology. But actually, it's not. Uh, the, the patterns <coughs> you see with social media today in the 21st century, uh, they're not different uh, to what happened uh, in the 19th century uh, where newspapers were very, very powerful, and uh, there were uh, hundreds of newspapers. Well, now we are, we are used to having, in a city, you see one or two newspapers. In the, in the 19th century, uh, uh, in some cities in Europe, you have uh, more than 50 newspapers in different languages. So it was very similar to the social media. It was printed, uh, it was circulated, but still, uh, in any uh, period of history, you have the same... Um, uh, craziness, the same uh, pressure, social pressure for people to react. Uh, just may, let me just give you an example. One of the um, uh, things that uh, worry uh, businessmen 
today, they, 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 they really become very worried. It's about reputation, how to protect your reputation, how to take uh, measures um, to prevent uh, social media. I was just reading the news today, what is going on with, uh, with Nike. Uh, they started a new advertising campaign. Apparently, uh, they are getting a lot of uh, bad reactions in social media. So it's, uh, apparently, mm-hmm. this is uh, becoming a big problem. But it is not new. If you look at, um, at uh, let me just give you an example from the 19th century. One of the uh, stories I recount in, uh, in one of my latest books is the, the life of William Turner. And Turner was a great uh, artist, a great painter, but he had a huge problem with the media. Uh, but, uh, Turner uh, had a small business because he had his own gallery and he was selling his paintings. He got uh, a lot of bad news. He had a lot of problems with uh, journalists. He was really a child in a social media, any kind of interaction. And the problem is that uh, they crucified him uh, over and over again. They didn't like him. He was uh, um, also not uh, a very uh, extrovert uh, person. And in the end, um, the story is very interesting because Turner, despite uh, all his uh, attacks, uh, all attacks he got from the media, despite all the social pressure, because they consider him uh, stupid, uh, bad manners, they had all these um, uh, stereotypes about, about uh, Turner. Eventually, uh, he took a very um, innovative approach to that, and he developed uh, other type of assets. He became very efficient in his business. He became one of the fastest uh, painters in history. He was very focused on process, on production, and he became very, very wealthy uh, despite uh, the problems with the, with the media. So you can always find in history strategies uh, that you can use in your business or in your life because uh, what we are living through today is not new. It's not fundamentally new. It's only a different uh, type of event, but uh, human nature has not uh, changed. And problems with the media and problems with social pressure, they have existed. Well, I guess that kind of um, leads to the that old saying, history always repeats itself. Because as you were saying with Turner, we're, we're seeing things now with... Um, What's his name? Colin Kirkpatrick, I think, is the person you were alluding to with the Nike um, situation right now. That it it just repeats itself. We're we're just going through the same things, but really, we only look at things that happened in the last year or two. Yeah, it's um, it's human nature, and uh, when you have a business and you want to develop uh, a structure that is very solid. Uh, you can protect yourself in different ways, and you can look into history how people uh, have uh, been able to defend themselves against not only against uh, economic crisis, but also against war, against currency devaluation, uh, against problems with the supply chain. Um, you get always the same ideas. Today, uh, we might use uh, software uh, for for uh, getting a warning when something is going wrong instead of um, of using different signals. But uh, the, the, the need to protect uh, your life and your business and your health, because I always underline the question of protecting your health, because if you are in business, uh, the last thing you want uh, is to become sick for a long time, uh, let alone uh, uh, severely sick. This is the greatest disruption you can imagine. So you have to protect uh, the, the continuity, not only of your business, but I think of uh, your life in general. And uh, prevention... Of, uh, of sickness in business uh, for yourself and for your employees, I think is also critically important. I agree, I agree with you, you know, and I think if we can learn from things that have happened in the past, then hopefully 
we don't repeat them. But if we don't, then we will repeat them as you, you suggested. Yeah, it's all about uh, developing uh, patterns or developing uh, procedures in your business and your life. Um, uh, uh, my books is that you have to be sure uh, that it's flexible, but at the same time, it's very solid. And the key word is uh, sustainability. Uh, you need a structure that you can repeat uh, day after day, uh, year after year, that is going to keep you uh, going even if there's a problem. And the problems are different in each country. Uh, if you are in Africa, you have problems with uh, currency and you have constant uh, currency devaluation. Uh, if you are in some uh, countries, you might have problems with, uh, with violence because uh, there is a lot of uh, civil strife. Uh, in each country, you have different risks. You have to protect yourself. You have to develop uh, systems that allow your business to continue under any circumstances. And on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking today with John Vespasian, the author of Sequentiality, and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Our humanity is a thing we take for granted. But it takes many forms, and it requires much of us to fully express it. Listen to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human, with host Dr. Leanne Nguyen. This program will explore topics about survival, fulfillment, hope, connection, being fully alive to ourselves and to others. Guests or people whose life experience inspires us to reflect on these questions. Tune into On Living, broadcasting live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we're talking with John Vespasian, the author of Sequentiality. And uh, 
really how we can learn uh, from history, what history can teach us with with our planning and you know and things that we consider moving forward. Uh, John, you gave us some great information in the first segment. Um, in this segment, I'd like to start with with something you know uh, a crucial lesson in business continuity. And uh, I'm really interested to hear uh, what you have to say on this one. How the ancient uh, Greeks wiped out the Persian invaders before they could do serious damage. So how can that be uh, a lesson in business continuity for us? This is uh, something from uh, 25 uh, centuries ago, but I think it's uh, it's a great um, example. And when people hear uh, the story, I think they get the principle uh, because... Um, uh, the ancient Greeks, uh, they lived in uh, relatively small villages. Huh? I mean, you have to realize that uh, even Athens, um, in its greatest splendor, there was only 300,000 people. And most of the Greek uh, cities, there were 100,000, 150,000. So they, they were not uh, huge uh, cities. And at a certain point, um, uh, they got uh, uh, news that uh, the Persians, uh, they were preparing a, a huge invasion. Uh, with 100,000 people. They were building uh, ships, and the Greeks knew uh, that this was going on because they, they were trading uh, with different uh, areas in the Mediterranean. So they got news when people are building hundreds of ships. Uh, the news uh, came to Athens very quickly. And they knew they had a few months uh, to prepare. Uh, they got the warning that a huge problem was coming, uh, they have this advanced uh, information system that today in your business you would use uh, software uh, when you have, for instance, problems with uh, with payment flow yet, uh, from your software, some warning that it's a problem. The Greeks, uh, they traded, so they knew from their uh, correspondence that uh, the Persians were coming with 100,000 uh, people. And you have to realize that when you have to face 100,000 soldiers, and your biggest city is 300,000, you have a huge problem uh, because they could not put together an army uh, big enough. If the Persians uh, managed to, uh, to actually to set foot on Greece, uh, they were lost because they could never stop uh, 100,000 people. It was impossible. So there comes mm-hmm. the, the idea because they got a warning, which is the first uh, thing you want in business discontinuity to have advanced warning as early as possible that something something bad is happening and you want advanced warning uh, is possible uh, with a few weeks or a few months and then the question what do you do and there comes a big lesson because uh, what did what did the, the Greeks uh, do in this situation well uh, they stopped everything because they had uh, of course they were doing business they were doing different things but they stopped everything and say we have to find the solution because otherwise we will disappear as a, as, a, as, a folk, as a people, as folk, we will, we will disappear completely. We will be wiped out by the Persians because the problem was just too big. And after having several meetings, they have this, um, this assembly, this, this uh, people's assembly. They, they have several meetings. They discussed, and in the end, they, they said, we have to focus all the resources on the problem. And this is a, also a huge lesson. When you see something very big coming uh, that could wipe you out, uh, you have to have the flexibility to focus all the resources, or almost all the resources, uh, to solve the problem. Because otherwise, uh, if you keep doing something else, it's worthless because you will die. You will, uh, your business will disappear. And the Greeks, uh, uh, very cleverly, uh, they decided uh, we have to stop uh, the Persians uh, from reaching uh, actual mainland Greece. We have to stop them uh, before they actually come here. 
And this was also a great uh, lesson because when you want to have business continuity, you want to prevent the problem uh, from growing. You want to stop the problem mm-hmm. as soon as possible. And what they said after a lot of discussions, they decided to intercept uh, the, the persons and the, at the weakest possible. Uh, they have to go through a strait. Uh, there is a, a bay close to Athens, the, the Bay of Salamis. And there they have an advantage because uh, it was relatively small. And even if they had uh, 100,000 people in, in different ships, uh, they couldn't move so quickly because uh, the bay was very small. So they actually, the Greeks, they waited until the Persians were in the bay. And then with the, they built um, uh, these small ships uh, and they rammed the, uh, the Persians one after the other. They, they sank all the fleet. Uh, they did it uh, in a space of 24 hours. As soon as the, the Persians got into the bay, uh, the Greeks attacked them from the side and they rammed the, the uh, ships one after the other. So in the end, they destroyed uh, the Persian army because they could actually disembark. And this is, the, I think, the perfect uh, recipe for a business continuity. Uh, you want First, you want to get an early warning that something uh, is happening, and you need to have the systems uh, to have this warning, uh, whether it's software uh, with these uh, business indicators, you want to have this warning. And then you have to have the possibility uh, to focus uh, the necessary resources uh, to prevent the problem from growing. If you allow uh, the problem to become too big, uh, it will wipe you out. A business continuity is about keeping problems small, keeping problems uh, manageable. And the ancient Greeks, uh, 25 centuries ago, they find there's the solution. We don't need to reinvent the solution. We only need to adapt it uh, to our needs. I find that so interesting because that I, I think there's been movies made about um, that situation. And really, when you, when you look at it, you, you don't really think of it as you know, a, a potential a learning lesson from you know, history. You, know, you, you think of that, oh, that's just you know, war. But when you break it down into those different pieces, as you just mentioned, that's really interesting because there's, uh, you know, disaster management there. There's business continuity, how you keep things going, you know, uh, people safety, how you're going to protect your 300,000 citizens. You know, there's crisis management, you know, uh, focusing resources. That is such an incredible example um, of and touches on so many different areas in the business continuity realm. Yeah. And the. The lesson is something that uh, when you learn the story, uh, people will usually remember the story. Or if you watch the movie, they made several movies. If you watch a movie about the story, uh, you will usually remember what happened, uh, what the Greeks uh, did. And uh, this kind of learning is very useful because human beings will learn from stories. It's very difficult to learn things by heart uh, because our memory doesn't work like this. Uh, But when we have uh, stories and we have uh, different principles, and we are about to make the same mistake, uh, we'll remember the story. And when you get a warning that something is not working in your business, that your cash flow is very, very low, that uh, you have uh, problems with suppliers, when you get a warning, you should react as the ancient Greeks and say, okay, I have to solve this problem because it's really critical. Uh, What I'm going to do, I still have several weeks, I still have several months, but you have to react uh, you cannot really wait until the problem becomes too big because uh, it, it might really wipe you out. Uh, and this is when you look at business failure, uh, not only in the 20th century, but uh, on the 19th century, 18th century, when you look at, uh, at people um, destroying their business uh, because they didn't take action, 
um, uh, you always see the same patterns. Uh, they believe that uh, they have a formula that is uh, invincible, but when they face uh, some kind of disruption, they cannot really cope with it. And uh, in history, you get always these stories that uh, they look very, very far away, but actually the principles are the same today. Yes, I I agree. It's, but it's 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 so different to think of it that way for you know from a historical perspective because most of us and we've mentioned it before are probably only looking you know for something that happened in the last year or two with another competitor. But yet we can learn from you know historical events that have gone on forever when you break it down. And I think that I thought that example was really fascinating. You know, thanks for that because I I really hadn't pictured it in that manner. You know, uh, to look at things in, in like that. Yeah, let me just uh, give you another story. Um, sure. One of the the problems with um, uh, with business continuity in general is that it's very abstract. And uh, when you when you try to explain people, okay, you have to prepare for a disaster and this kind of stuff, it looks very abstract. It looks something, okay, boof. Who knows? I mean, I've been doing, I've been in business for twenty years, uh, never have a problem. Why do I need this this stuff? And this is the normal reaction. Um, uh, I mean, if you are doing something and you are not uh, uh, suffering uh, great problems, why should you care about uh, about the risk? Why should you care about business continuity? And this is an attitude that um, uh, I found when I did um, a story recently about uh, the exploration of Antarctica. And this is something that happened in the early 20th century, that people went to Antarctica. They have different expeditions. Uh, because they wanted to explore the resources, and there was an expedition from the from the UK, uh, one from England, one from Scotland. There was also a Norwegian expedition, and they focused on the problem uh, in different ways. And you have to realize that uh, the question of continuity, when you are going into a very uh, hostile environment, and you're going when you're going to the to Antarctica, it's very very cold, and there's a lot of uh, ice, a lot of snow. The question of uh, continuity is, is life or death. And you cannot really afford uh, uh, to to break down um, uh, communications, to break down uh, supplies, because it, you just die. It's just, uh, there is no possibility to solve the problem. And as an example of, uh, of business continuity, I found uh, the way people went about it uh, super interesting, because you always have the same psychological problem, which is arrogance. Arrogance uh, is, uh, is part of human nature. We cannot avoid it. If we become successful... Um, it's very difficult to avoid uh, becoming arrogant. And this is what happened to the, to the British, uh, the English and the, the Scottish uh, explorers. Uh, they were quite arrogant uh, because they were successful. They were uh, uh, military uh, people. They were officers. Uh, they knew their, their uh, military duties. Uh, they were used to commanding, and they thought uh, they could improvise. So they went to, um, to Antarctica, to the South Pole, we are really preparing for, for a disaster. Uh, they didn't check uh, what kind of clothes you need, and they were wearing um, uh, woolen uh, clothes, which is very nice uh, for the winter in, uh, in England. But the problem with, mm-hmm. uh, with that, if you go to, the, to Antarctica and you get uh, wet, uh, you freeze, and they froze. This happened to the British. They froze because they did, were not wearing the, the right kind of clothes. They didn't check... Uh, what kind of dogs you need? Uh, because the problem with dogs, there are many types of dogs. Uh, you need uh, Siberian dogs. They are used to um, uh, to walking in the in on ice. 
So they took uh, not enough dogs. They took ponies. That was really stupid uh, to take horses uh, to Antarctica. The ponies broke their legs, their legs, and they died within within days. While uh, the Norwegian expedition, uh, they were focused on safety. Uh, they wanted to prevent uh, a breakdown of uh, of the team. Uh, they wanted to have supplies. They wanted to make sure that uh, they were not going to die. And they really made a checklist. Uh, Amutsen was the leader of the expedition. He made a checklist and said, what kind of problems I'm going to have? What kind of disasters uh, could I, could I uh, encounter? He made, a pro- he made a checklist for the food, for the clothing, for the transportation. He made a checklist and he went point by point uh, trying to prevent uh, disaster. And he did it in a very simple way. He didn't have uh, Google. He didn't have uh, Internet. So he had to ask people. He spent a couple of months asking people how to prevent uh, disaster. And he did it in a very obsessive way. Of course, he didn't want to die. He wanted to win. He won the competition. He arrived. He came safely. He didn't lose uh, any of his uh, crew members. And he, he, he did it in a way which was super efficient. It was like a walk in the park. He went to the South Pole, he returned, and the other expeditions, they died. People actually froze. It was horrible. Uh, they could not even recover the bodies. They are still there uh, two centu- one century later because uh, they are under a, a thick layer of ice. And um, this is all about continuity. You have to really think ahead because disaster will happen. Uh, if you just uh, stay in business long enough, you will have to face a critical situation. You have to think a bit like uh, explorers. Uh, what kind of disaster could you have and how are you going to stop it? That's an interesting example because you, you mentioned, uh, you know, person, uh, you know, what kind of things can happen to us. They were performing a kind of what we would call now a risk assessment. You know, what are all the things that could hamper us, you know, and what do we do if it does occur? You know, and they had this plan put in place. And then the first uh, expedition you mentioned, uh, the British and the Scots, they didn't do that. They just went in with a bunch of assumptions. And I always like the expression that I've heard uh, before, and I've used it quite a few times, is the only assumption you will prove correct in a disaster is that all your assumptions are wrong. So that that's kind of an interesting uh, example of an early risk assessment, you know, of checking things, you know, and asking other experts, you know, before you move forward. Yeah, again, um, uh, all too often uh, we try to reinvent the wheel. And this is uh, it's something that happens with business people. It happens to everybody all the time. We don't like uh, to spend time uh, basically learning from, uh, from history, learning from other people. Uh, it looks inefficient. But it's not. Uh, it's the cheapest way uh, to run a business, the cheapest way uh, to maintain your success and to prevent uh, disaster. And uh, today we should not underestimate uh, the problems you can have in business uh, due to uh, 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 currency devaluation, to different uh, tax situations. Now we have, for instance, the, all the discussions about uh, the trade um, problems with different countries because their actions uh, to increase uh, custom duties and businesses are thinking, okay, do we have to relocate? Uh, do we have to find uh, plan B uh, to, to have uh, production in different countries? Because otherwise they will not be able to, uh, to export uh, their products. These kind of uh, plans you need to have in advance 
uh, because um, it's not so easy uh, to relocate production. So it's better to have already uh, an idea of how you're going to do it. Uh, otherwise, it becomes uh, it's very, very risky. And I think that's a, a good point. And on that, we've actually come to the end of our second segment. Uh, today, we're talking with author and, uh, uh, yeah, author, sorry, John Vespasian and his book, Sequentiality. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river. Like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we're talking with author John Vespasian and uh, his book, Sequentiality, and how we uh, can learn from historical events and apply them into today, today's business continuity and disaster planning. John, you've given some great examples so far and you know how we can relate it to business today. And there's one, uh, a couple of items I'd like to see if we've got time to touch on. And I'm wondering why some people managed to survive the Black Death while you know millions died. You know, uh, what lessons can we learn from that? You know, and related to well, the, the Black Death. Yeah, the, the Black Death uh, is a is a, um, a, a severe um, uh, crisis happened in the 14th century. It killed uh, 28 million people. And uh, what is fascinating when you look at the, at the story is that um, uh, there were some areas uh, in Europe uh, where almost nobody died. 
And uh, this is uh, the case in, in some areas in Poland and some areas in, the, in Norway and, and uh, Sweden. While in other places, in, in Italy, Italy was a disaster. Uh, in some areas, uh, the population was uh, decimated by 90%. Uh, they, you have to imagine a city where 90% of the people uh, died. And there are different uh, lessons from the, from the story. But um, uh, the problem that uh, so many people died is that uh, they didn't take it seriously. And when they started uh, to see um, uh, people getting sick, at the beginning, um, they thought it was something temporary, that uh, it, it, was not, it was not going to happen to them, something for the neighbors. And they didn't take any action. Uh, it took uh, actually uh, several weeks uh, when they actually get uh, bodies on the street, and it was getting very, very bad, that uh, people started to ask, okay, what are we going to do about it? And they tried different things. And um, uh, you see people doing uh, completely uh, counterproductive, uh, taking completely counterproductive action because they didn't know what they were doing. They were just uh, uh, trying different things, but they didn't really check uh, uh, different solutions. While in other areas, uh, there were a few people who had experience because they have been traveling uh, to different countries, and they have been. Uh, some people have been in, in the Middle East. They have been in China, and they knew what uh, what this kind of uh, sickness uh, was about. Uh, they knew that it was very very dangerous, and that you really have to um, to find the solution. And these people at the beginning they were completely ignored. Uh, they were selling um, uh, uh, disinfection um, um, herbs. And they were trying to tell people that uh, they have to, to stay away uh, from crowded places. They have to really uh, ventilate their house. They have to use, uh, and they, they have very primitive uh, antibiotics, but uh, they did have uh, the idea that uh, you can really prevent um, uh, contagion, uh, contagion by having uh, garlic, uh, by having different herbs. And uh, the people who survive are the ones that were the most innovative. Uh, they were looking for solutions. Uh, they hear about um, uh, what uh, these uh, physicians were saying, and there were people who have traveled, and they said, okay, why not? I'm going to, uh, I'm going to use it. And the other solution was, of course, uh, to move out of the city, because the cities were the problem where people really got uh, sick uh, massively, uh, to move out uh, to the countryside for a few months until the crisis uh, disappeared. But in one way or another, uh, the only people that uh, survive is those that uh, actually took action. Uh, they could take different kinds of action, but they actually they took the problem seriously when they started to see uh, that their family, their friends, their neighbors, they were getting sick. They took the problem very seriously, and they say, I need a solution now, because if I don't do anything, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's really interesting. At the, even at the beginning, you made a, a, an interesting point about um, you know, neighbors thought it would happen to their neighbors. And the last like today, how some corporations always think that a crisis or some sort of a disaster isn't going to happen to them. It'll happen to somebody else. But I always like to say, well, you know, all those other somebody else's, uh, you're somebody else to them. So they're th- other companies are thinking it's going to happen to you, except you. Yeah, nowadays we have the, the, the advantage that the information uh, flows very quickly because you have to see that in the, in the 14th century, of course, uh, uh, people got letters and they got information from other areas, but it was very slow. It took sometimes it took uh, it took a couple of weeks. Uh, today, it takes a couple of minutes 
uh, when there's a problem somewhere in the in the world, you see immediately, you see in the in the media, you see in the social media, uh, you see comments, you see uh, pictures, and you can't really take action. So we have a great advantage. Uh, the problem is psychological. Uh, we are still very reluctant uh, to take problems seriously. And this is something that hasn't changed uh, since the 14th century. We have uh, massive, um, uh, um, sophistic massively sophisticated uh, communication systems, but uh, we are still uh, very reluctant uh, to, to take action. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, so let, let's move to something else that I want to make sure we have time for today. Um, the Mamanitas, sorry, I'm going to say it wrong again now, the Mamanitas strategy. What is that, and how can we apply that today? Now, this is something that um, I came up uh, when I wrote, uh, I think it was uh, three years ago, one of my books. Uh, it's, it's, an, it's an idea from the, from the Middle Ages. Uh, Maimonides was a Jewish um, uh, philosopher, a scholar, and the, the, his biography is very interesting because he has to apply a sort of uh, survival strategy, business continuity strategy, because he, his life was completely disrupted. Uh, he was living in the, in the south of Spain. Um, his father, uh, they had a, a house um, uh, in, the, in the southern Spain, and he was studying. He wanted to become a, a rabbi, so he was studying the Bible all the time. Sorry, the Bible, the um, the, the Jewish uh, uh, Bible, the, the the scripture. And the problem with Maimonides is that uh, he didn't have any practice. He was uh, a great reader. He was studying all the time, but uh, eventually they had a problem because they they got um, um, problems with the new government in, in Spain. The the Jews they have to emigrate, so they have to go to uh, to Africa. And eventually, um, his brother and his father, uh, they both died. And they left um, uh, Maimonides in charge of his uh, family, his sister, his mother. They moved to Egypt. And uh, Maimonides was very depressed for a while because his whole life uh, was in shambles. Uh, He was so depressed that he could barely get out of bed for several uh, months. But eventually, he found uh, a solution. And this is something that I found remarkable, uh, because uh, Maimonides, when he was uh, in Spain, uh, in addition to reading uh, scriptures, uh, he was uh, reading uh, about uh, medicine, uh, he was reading about law, and he uh, had um, uh, access to uh, books from ancient Greece about medicine. So he read, uh, I mean, you are talking about reading uh, five, six books, but in the Middle Ages, it was exceptional. Most people never uh, read a book. But Maimonides not only have read the, uh, these books about um, uh, medicine from Hippocrates, from ancient Greece, and from Galen, they were in, in Greek and Latin. He could speak, uh, he could read uh, Greek and Latin. Not only he had read the books, but he had read them several times, and it was very unusual. So when he went to, uh, to Egypt, uh, he was able to make a living uh, because he started uh, to practice as a, as a physician. And he built uh, a very wealthy and a very uh, remarkable career because he had this backup. He had this knowledge uh, that he could use uh, when his main business uh, was broken. He could actually uh, survive on this second uh, line. And uh, he could not practice um, as a rabbi, which he wanted because he didn't have a possibility. But he made a very good living as a physician 
just because he had uh, prepared. And the lesson is, uh, is super interesting because if you are in business, if you are in a, in a career and you're trying to build uh, yourself a, a nice future, uh, the lesson of my money, this story, is that you should have a backup. You should have uh, skills that uh, maybe you are not using right now, but you can use in case of, uh, of a problem. And in a business, the same. You should have uh, a line of business that is independent of your main uh, activity so that you can go back to it in case of a disaster. Uh, this kind of um, uh, backup approach is very healthy because it also makes people uh, rel- um, uh, very uh, reliant, very self-reliant and very resilient. So I think the Maimonides strategy is something that we can still use in the 21st uh, century. I think so, too. It's a, rather an interesting one. I was I was really curious to know because I'd never heard of the name before. And when uh, we, we put our agenda together, I was like, oh, I can't wait to hear what that is. So, uh, yeah, that, I, I agree with you. That's really good. Let's come up a few, uh, few well, hundred uh, years. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, okay. Jewish people, of course, they, they know about Maimonides because he's grand, grand of the great uh, teachers. Uh, he wrote also extensively about uh, law. Uh, he wrote uh, a history of uh, Jewish law, so he was really a great scholar. But uh, he made a living, actually, as, as a physician. And this is remarkable because uh, he had to use his backup uh, knowledge when his main career was uh, disrupted. And that's, you know, to put that in a nutshell, we have to have in business, you know, our business continuity plans. That's our backup for when we, uh, you know, our primary uh, sites experience some sort of an uh, interruption. So it's kind of interesting how uh, that, you know, we, we can link that in today's today's world. Uh, if we have time, I can tell you another story. I think it's very interesting about uh, business continuity. It will take a few minutes. And, and this is uh, the story of uh, Berblinger. Uh, Berblinger is, um, I think, is uh, one of the few persons in history uh, who actually uh, managed to fly. He lived in the 19th century, but uh, he was very good uh, with his hands. He was uh, a tailor, actually. Uh, but uh, at a certain moment, he built um, uh, wings, and he could he could uh, fly. Actually, the the the, um, the advantage of Berlinger, if you compare Berlinger with uh, with Leonardo, for instance, or Galileo Galilei, who actually designed this kind of uh, wings, is that Berlinger uh, was a tailor. He found a way to put together uh, very very light uh, materials, and he built uh, wings. And he was able to fly. He was practicing uh, flying. Uh, he would jump from one uh, house to the next. And he was able to fly for a few meters. So he practiced and practiced and practiced. And he wanted to, uh, to build a huge business. His plan was to sell his uh, invention, his wings, uh, to the army. And the problem with Berlinger is that uh, he didn't plan for the future. Uh, he was uh, testing his, uh, his wings. Uh, he called uh, the generals of the army uh, for a demonstration. And uh, he trained and trained and trained. He trained uh, for, um, for actually for six months. Uh, he called all the uh, uh, politicians and all the uh, generals for a demonstration in Ulm, uh, which is a city in Germany, because his demonstration was he was going to jump uh, from the tower, from the clock tower, and he was going to prove that he could fly. And uh, after, after testing uh, for six months and, and proving he was able to fly, because he was actually able to fly quite well, uh, Berlinger jumped to the tower uh, in front of 1,000 people, and uh, he put on his wings, and he jumped, and he crashed. 
Uh, and why did it happen? Because uh, he was uh, actually trying to fly in different conditions. Uh, he was trying to cross the river, and he didn't know uh, in the 18th century, 19th century, he didn't know that, uh, uh, that uh, you need to have uh, warm air. If you try to fly, uh, this is why birds, when they cross the continents, they always try to cross a, 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 through a strait. They never go through the, through the sea because they, they, when you have uh, cold water, it's very difficult uh, to keep uh, flying. So Berbinger crashed because he didn't test uh, his, uh, his abilities in the real conditions. And this is something that's uh, super important uh, when you're planning for continuity and you're planning for um, keeping your business alive. You have to test uh, your plans in real conditions, as real as possible. Uh, because Berblinger, he was short, sure good fly. He had witness. He had been trying for months, but he was not uh, testing uh, his plan in the real conditions. He had never jumped from the tower. And the, the first time he did it, uh, he crashed. And this is something that uh, when people are planning uh, for the future, they take it uh, very easily. They never manage to test. They never bother to test uh, their systems. And this is something you have to do at least a couple of times per year. And this is mm -hmm. like uh, people practice for this uh, fire uh, exercise. In case there is fire, they go and they try. You should do it at least a couple of times per year. Uh, to, to test your continuity plans to make sure you don't crash in the critical situation. I think that's fantastic. We're, uh, a, a really interesting example there, because uh, I'd never heard of that one, uh, the Burblinger story there uh, of someone flying you know, and not validating. I was kind of, uh, I knew where you were going. I knew something bad was going to happen when you got to the end of your story. <laughs> but it, it, it really does make that point about validating, you know, your plan under under different conditions, you know, uh, making sure that it is, um, so to speak, waterproof, you know, or in this case, airproof, you know, to, to make sure that it's going to work. So I think that's really interesting. Um, we've actually come to the end of our uh, last segment. Um, John, I want to thank you for the... Uh, the incredible examples you've got here that we can actually go back and uh, learn from. You know, do you have any, uh, you know, in the last minute we've got, do you have any last minute uh, uh, comments you'd like to say before we, we say goodbye? Yes. Um, if, uh, I think if, if people just get one message from the, from the conversation today uh, is that uh, they have to build a solid structure. Uh, business is not, uh, it's not only about uh, making money today. You have to really think about the future. You need something that uh, you can leave to your children. If you have a business, you want to leave it to your children. And you want to find um, uh, uh, systems. You want to find uh, patterns that uh, they are almost automatic. Uh, what you want is to have uh, early warning systems. You want to have uh, the possibility to, uh, to focus on problems. And it's not so difficult. It's not uh, um, something that uh, you need to be a genius uh, to solve, but you have to, to be uh, humble enough uh, to realize that uh, unless you plan today, uh, you might not have uh, sufficient time when you actually face the problem. And this is something that you find in all the stories. Uh, people think they have time, and they don't. This is why you have to plan ahead. And on that note, we've come to the end of our show. Um, we're, we were talking today with John Vespasian, author of Sequentiality. John, thank you so much for joining us and giving us some uh, really uh, different perspectives and things to think of. So thank you very much. Many thanks, uh, Alex. And to everyone listening, stay prepared, everybody. 
Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.